Hi, I'm Shalushi Baxi Ritchie. And I'm Kosha Baxi Karstens. We are sisters and best friends who grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were really loved. We had a lot of friends, but we never felt like we fully fit in. We started to realize that there's probably a lot of other people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was a seed for this podcast. Then during the 2020 election, we watched now Vice President Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence, and we got inspired. We want to hear, share, and amplify the voices of all Americans who have felt othered. We want to give everyone a platform to reclaim their power and their place by standing up and saying, I am speaking. Hi, friends. Welcome to our episode with Jenny Shin Yang. Yes. This is a, a connection of Kosha's, but it turns out we, I had met her before. Through me, which is like yes. the one time so far that a friend of yours has come through me. Yes. Right. I'm going to have to start poaching all of your friends now. <laughs> um, no, it was, it was awesome to talk to her. It was really just amazing. She was so reflective. I have to say that, and she says it a couple of times in the episode where she talks about using this time during COVID when they've been stuck at home to really reflect on her relationship with her past and with her future, with her kids. And the depth that she spoke with was really wonderful to hear. Yeah, absolutely. I think one theme that she touched on very clearly and very articulately in a way that you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, which I hope you have, um, you'll see that almost every person we talk to speaks in some way about the expectations placed on them by their immigrant parents. Um, and she talked about it in much more depth and really talked about sort of the weight of what it is to be a first generation kid and why, you know, why you would do something for nine years that you really hated and and the, the trade-offs that actually most first-generation kids make with themselves about how do you act, how do you behave, even if the expectations are not overt, the story you get told about why we're, you know, why we've come to the United States is part of the trade-offs that you make in your own head that no one ever has to tell you that you're going to make. Absolutely. Jenny is, she was a joy and a love. She's a friend of mine. She is hilarious. And, um, you know, I really think you're going to enjoy, enjoy listening to Jenny. She is speaking. Oh, oh that, okay. For some reason, I thought yes. she was in college or high school or something. No, she's the marketing. Oh my God. I'm like so team. much older. I'm like so much older than her. So She's no, like, <laughs> or something. Oh, okay, okay. No. So that's that's how we do it then. Because I, yes, I also, like I'm part. Of I think this. I met you at the spotlight or something. Yes, yeah, no, we met like it. somewhere. That's, oh yeah, she was like, at spotlight. You, I met you guys I wasn't. together. Yeah. yeah, yes. Oh, I think that's I true. said one of us walked up and said, "You're um, Kosha's sister." Mm -hmm. That's right. <laughs> Probably so, at the Shailashi. Yeah. My guess is she didn't come up to you and say <laughs> you're you're Kosha's sister. No, no, no. So but I think at one point I said, I wanted to chat with you because I did work in nonprofit for a really long time. And I was like, she's a good person to know for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we so, should, um, heads up. We should do that again now. I have been, I've yes. been telling both of you, like you guys need to get together yes. for a yeah. long time. 
My name is Jenny Yang, and I am speaking. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, ladies. I'm so excited to chat. Us too. We're really excited to talk to you. Um, So far this season, we've had a chance to talk to each other. We've talked to our (laughs) siblings. We've talked to people whose parents immigrated from Europe. Mm-hmm. And from and India, India. Mm-hmm. and and then Fi- the Philippines. Yeah. So we talked. Oh, to cool. She's actually from Oak Park, so you might know. Oh, her. nice. Uh, Kristen Salvador. Do you know her? No, I don't know who that is. She's from, or uh, her parents are from the Philippines, but they are um, culturally. No, I'm sorry. Ancestrally Chinese. Yes. Oh, interesting. But they're from the culturally Filipino. So she, it was really interesting because she was like, if someone told her parents like, "Oh, you're Chinese," they'd be like. No, yeah, Filipino, right? Um, so Jenny, can you you are from your parents are from? Yeah, my parents are from South Korea. I guess I'll just tell you guys a little bit about myself. Yeah, that'd be great. Tell me, you know, tell us about your family, where where your parents are from, and sure. Really, let's start with you know what we ask everyone is what's the story you were told about when your parents came over to the states? Okay, sure. So my parents are South Korean and I was actually born in South Korea. I came with them when I was five and a half and we immigrated here because my mom is um, part of a large family. She's one out of 10 kids and her whole side of the family and they're super tight. They all immigrated here and they immigrated here because um, one of her older brothers went to school and loved it here. And then one by one, each of their siblings moved here. My mom's at the lower end of the uh, bracket, I guess. So she's one of the younger ones. So we moved here eventually, but pretty much to be close to their family and have a new opportunity, more or less. Um, I have a younger brother who is also, I guess he's second generation, but he's or first generation. Maybe he's second generation. I'm not quite sure because he was actually born here. So he is nine years younger than me. So we had a very different experience too, I would imagine, just because I had a different experience. You know, I grew up living here. I guess grew up having my childhood here, but also had to adjust my teenage years and my early 20 adulthood years and being parent, you know, the parenthood years here. So I have a younger brother who is nine years younger than me that was born in the States. So we just have a really different experience of I think the immigration story, the first generation story of like my relationship with my parents and his relationship with my parents, my relationship with my brother, just because we have that huge gap. I was an adult by the time he was in his teen years, you know, so we had and we I lived in a different city and things of that sort. So that's been interesting. And then, um, yeah, that's kind of the reason we came was mostly because of family to be close. And my parents, my mom's side of the family is pretty tight in that way. So I can't imagine that in any other way. Sure. So one of the interesting things, you know, is we, Kosha and I, and we both have two younger siblings, a sister Mm -hmm. who's five years younger than Kosha. And our younger brother is two years younger than our youngest sister. Right. So there's 11 years between me and my brother. Yep. And nine years between me and my sister. So very similar. Right. Just with Kosha thrown in there in the middle. Uh, (laughs) um, And there were, you know, you're absolutely right. There are differences in sort of how the two of us were raised. Right. The older siblings and how the two of them were raised. Exactly. There's almost like a mythology that our parents shared with us about 
when they came over. Maybe not mythology, Mm because it's certainly based in fact, but there's like certain aspects of the story that get repeated and repeated till they take on, you know, almost they're part of the lore. Mm -hmm. Do your parents have that? Do you, did you like the story about like, oh, we were here and then we decided to do this. And then we, it was like really hard. And, you know, the thing that we always say is our parents always tell us they came over with $8 in their pocket. Right. So I don't remember actually having, they, we don't, I don't remember having a story like that, but mm-hmm. very similar, like Asian culture, right. And just in general to look for a better life, to give more opportunities. You have to study really hard. You know, you have to uh, work really hard. And, you know, that was kind of the concept that was thrown at me often. And I will throw this out there too. I mentioned, you know, my, the difference between my brother and I, um, he's an awesome person, but he was the boy of the family and I was the girl, but I was the firstborn <laughs> and he's the firstborn son of the first. My dad is a firstborn. Oh. So that kind of, um, that's not the, I guess the story, but that immigration of giving, you know, coming here to be with family and giving them more opportunities and working hard and having that, um, you got to accomplish something amazing <laughs> to be super successful, make more money, do better than yourself. Like that sort of storyline was always part of how I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I actually followed any of it, <laughs> but I listened to it often. And it's so interesting. And I'm just going to throw this in there because now that I have kids that are teenage years and I, um, I just remember being so mad all the time with my parents and my mom, especially just the constant comparison of some other kids family, right? Like Mrs. Kim's daughter is going to Harvard, got 1600, got straight A's and was part of blah, 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 you know, or he's the best. He's like the number one violent, violent. I played cello. I tell this story all the time. I played cello for nine years. I took lessons at with a professor at Northwestern. I stunk and I hated it and I quit. But I, the fact that I played for nine years and I went through that whole spiel listening to that, it's just weird that looking back, how the heck did I do that? And is it because of the stories they told me? And I felt not guilty, but you felt like you had to kind of follow some sort of rule and yeah. accomplish something that I wasn't quite sure what I was accomplishing. Is that, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I clearly did that to please my parents or something, something triggered me to do all that. And I did like it, but I just didn't want to do it, but I did it because I had to. So it's just interesting to see how, I mean, I don't know if it's an immigrant, like that first generation, you do things because you feel like you have to. And you might not be even good at it, but you just keep on doing it. You know, Jenny, I had the exact same experience, though, with violin. Interesting. play the violin, and then I play the violin. Yes. And I was terrible. And I practiced, you know, for for years. I I mean, toward the end, I was like, this is not good. I was terrible, and I didn't enjoy it, but I continued to do it. And I was even like in orchestra my freshman year. Yeah. Yeah. My freshman year of high school. And I was like, me too. Doing this. No, me too. I I was in orchestra like all four years of high school, played all like elementary school and middle school and high school. I mean, like, what was I possibly doing? But clearly um, I was doing it to please my parents. (laughs) 
Right. Right. I like that you're that like, one. what was I doing? <laughs> what was I doing? That's the big question. But I was doing it in that sense because you have some sense of like, I guess it's going back to what we were saying, you know, that hit story of the immigration story of why you came here and to give the better life. And so it's like trying to follow those um, rules that you're supposed to do because you came all the way here. And I, you know, clearly they left all their friends. My mom actually was closer to her uh, family, but just, you know, they're different lives and different things. And obviously when you leave a country, there's things that you don't, it wasn't right for them. And there's probably some hurdles that they were um, facing, but it's just um, that sort of, I don't know if it was a burden, but I felt like I had something that I had to do, even though I didn't know if I really wanted to do it. So I like the school and the cello and the things that you're supposed to do, like the the patterns of a good citizen, (laughs) right? That you're supposed to do. And I did all of that. Then I kind of rebelled too, but, you know, just coming from an Asian family, like, you know, I was, I think I was just telling you guys that I'm the firstborn. And so also being a girl, I felt like I had a lot of responsibility to help them out, you know, and what, whatever that meant, even taking care of my brother because he was so young. And so these things that you feel like you have to do, because that was the story of you came, we came here to give you a better life and you have to keep up with it. Where then I look at my kids and I want them to have a good life, but, you know, I, complain a lot about like, oh, I wish they were more responsible, this, this, and that, but I want something different for them. And I'm not even quite sure what that is, but it's just a different um, sort of, I don't want to call it a burden, but a different sort of rules and a different set of goals than I felt like I had growing up, you know? So that's sort of that storyline for me, at least. The, The fact that you use the word burden you know, it's, that's an interesting word. I, I mean, I can't imagine that your parents actually think of you as a burden, but there's a lot of weight that comes with the expectation yes. of being a child of immigrants. Exactly. Which is, we gave up all right. of this stuff this. for you. Right. And if you don't take advantage right. of the opportunity, but that's exactly it. You know, it's there's there's an unfilled blank there. You know, there's a mm-hmm. fill in the blank, but it's always something to the effect of what was our sacrifice for? Right. It's not, you know, you have to make it worth it. Right. Um, you know, some I I don't know if you're, you know, what your family vibe was. Certainly mm-hmm. I've heard from other first generation kids that the blank was filled in for them. And it was something like, you're ungrateful, you are um, disobedient. This isn't what, you know, sort of rejecting those opportunities is not why we came here. Right. That ever explicit or was it something that, like most first-gen kids, you just pick up from the, but this is why we came here. Right. Fill in the blank. You better do it. Right. My experience is a little bit different. And so I guess that's like my, my first generation experiences. My parents are actually pretty mellow in terms of like, like that tiger guilt thing. Um, They weren't straightforward telling me like, this is what you, you know, we sacrifice this for you, that sort of thing. But I just from 
awareness, I guess, on my part of their struggles and just fitting into the country. So, you know, for my parents watching them, you know, struggle to assimilate into this culture and this country, I took the burden, I'm going to use that word burden, quote unquote, of seeing that. And I kind of took that on to be like, okay, I need to help out more. I should fulfill their cello needs. <laughs> I should fulfill that straight A. And <laughs> none of it really happened, but <laughs> cello needs. I like that. But you've, yeah, you know, but like I felt a very strong, strong responsibility. And so that strong responsibility, is it equal burden? I don't know. Some days it did and some days it didn't, you know, and that sort of thing. So that was just hard for me to kind of gauge. And I felt like it was like, well, who else is going to do it? (laughs) Right. It's just me until my brother came along. Right. But um, so that was kind of, um, it wasn't so overt in my family. I feel really lucky in that sense, but I always felt it. So you have a little bit of that burden, a little bit of heavy responsibility, um, a little bit of guilt, you know, it's kind of like the Catholic thing, but not in the family version of it, where you just feel bad. You didn't do X. Maybe you didn't get into Harvard clearly, or you didn't, wasn't the first chair of the cello, or you didn't get into X or you didn't do Y, you know, like that sort of thing. I put it upon myself because I saw what was going on, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but I mean, my my family, personal family experience wasn't that heavy or strong handed. But I think just as any immigrant family, it's just different than the regular American family. That was very clear. So you just sense as a child, whatever age you are, you just know that something's slightly off and you kind of fill in the blanks in that sense. And then because my parents and I you know, you're growing up in the American culture and they're trying to instill their culture on you, but also trying to understand American culture, but not really quite getting it. And there's that conflict, but you're seeing it. So I just kind of filled in those blanks on my own and created something, right? To help them out or whatever sense that I thought was my role at that moment in time and trying to clarify that. And it was like constant confusion. (laughs) How important was it for your parents to identify as Korean and for you, for you to identify as Korean, you know, Big. when you were growing up, was it an element of like, no, we're Korean first and we're, um, and then, and then we came to America. That was really big for me because I told you that my dad is the first son. And so that holds a really big point in Asian families. Um, So I went to, I kind of did the typical Asian thing. I went to Korean school from six till uh, 14, you know, until end of eighth grade. Until last week. (laughs) Exactly. From yesterday. Um, But I took all the Korean language classes. I did it every, you know, Saturday and Sunday forever. I never did any sports like on the weekends. That was like not part of my thing. I got up, I went to Korean school did all that and that was how it was so that was really important we did a lot of family stuff we did my parents weren't super um like I said before they weren't overt like we didn't follow every single tradition but you know when my grandparents my dad's side of the family still lived in Korea they still do when they would come just speaking Korean to them was really important. Like I couldn't get away with saying they, everyone speaks English, right. In most countries I could say hi and hello, but 
they really, really wanted to make sure that I was speaking to them in Korean, right? And just certain um, culture, you know, the elderly kind of respecting like that sort of thing was really big. And so I always had that as part of my life. It's interesting because I don't, I don't know if I just kind of let it be, but I don't really instill that in my kids as much as I wish I did. Because I look back and I think it's a great part of my growing up in culture, but I just didn't do that for my kids, mm-hmm. which is weird. I'm having a little moment of, hmm, why did I do that? <laughs> sure. We want that in this podcast. Yeah. We want yeah. that. I want, Thought. you know, not just recalling what happened, but right. kind of processing things as we go That's... and being like, oh, I, I never thought about that until right now. Yeah. No, totally. Because that goes along with giving people voices, right? Like you're not yeah. going to voice something that you don't feel. Well, and this, or I don't so, recognize. Right. And I guess, you know, uh, it's not that I want to talk uh, this moment in time for me. It, it's a lot of reflective time, especially talking about my culture and not because here's like a little funny story during COVID. Um, like, obviously, everybody was watching TV and I watched a lot of TV. And like I just told you, I took Korean for a really long time. We would go visit Korea. I went to a summer exchange program when I was in college and it was super cool. And I like love when I came back, I was like, I love being Korean. I'm only going to speak Korean. And you're, you know, language gets really great. And then I even took it in college because I was like, I'm just going to really own this. And then the minute you leave and you don't speak to anyone. And then now I speak mostly English to my parents. You, your Korean totally goes away. So during COVID, I have been watching only Korean dramas. I'm addicted. And I'm going to have to tell you, (laughs) it's super cool. I could be like a little reviewer on that, but at the same time, it's super cool. But my Korean has like completely come back and I love it. And my kids watch me watch it. And I just think it's, it's a interesting moment where they now are at a point where they're really interested in our culture too. And I think it's the moment that we live in, right? Everyone loves having their own special thing and they love that they're Korean. They love the food. They love like the different traditions and they're asking more about it. And then they watch me watch these Korean dramas and get super into it. And I'm like, now I can speak Korean. And so <laughs> it's just funny and interesting how um, like something that I had to do growing up, right? I was, that was something that was put upon me and I had to take these classes for a hundred years. You know, I was, I had to try to speak to Korean to all the elders in my family. And then I kind of like ran away from it. And then now I'm like having my own kids and seeing just such a different time and place of where culture and heritage and um, tradition is much more important in the immigrant storyline. For at least for me, because I thought when I was coming, when we were coming, it was very confusing because I wanted to own it, but I didn't because I wanted to be part of this other culture Mm -hmm. that I wanted to be part of. So at that, like, you know, in the 80s and the 90s, that's what you did, I think. And like now it's like awesome seeing kids and like the younger generation kind of just owning it so much more. Mm -hmm. And I love that in that sense of, uh, giving that back. But I wonder how, you know, it was just, I guess we just had led such a different life, you know, such a different road. But also the, you know, the parental 
priorities are different. Like you said, right. it's so important for your parents to say, right. like, you will speak Korean. You will go to yeah. class. Yeah. But when you feel put upon, I mean, that's right. how I think we felt a lot was, you know, if you felt put upon and you were being forced to right. go to Sunday no school, choice. And say, go to the chimney mission, you're like, yeah. I don't want to do that because yeah. I want to do my own thing. Right. But when you let your kids, it sounds like you're letting them come to the culture on their own. So then right. it becomes a choice. Right. But it's interesting because I wonder if, I mean, we'll just have to see how it turns out because part of it is I love that now looking back, I kind of like that they forced it on me. Like, how would I have known? Y- you know what I mean? Unless I really went out on my own to really figure all that stuff out. I guess I would have and eventually in that sort of sense. But I love having those memories too, which is weird because I didn't want to be there. But I'm like, hey, remember <laughs> when we ate, you know, this and we wore that and we, you know, sang this and this, and we played these games on New Year's and that sort of thing. It's like, those are some real fond, weird memories of my childhood that I still totally treasure. And sometimes I look at my kids and I'm like, I wonder if they want some stuff like that, that they could look back on instead of them thinking I had to go find it because I didn't put it on them, you know? Sure. Sure. I think, you know, it's, it's always really interesting when we think about what our parents try to instill in us just generally, yeah, what they try to instill in us. And certainly immigrant parents bring so much of their you know, their home country's culture mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they're just trying to set up little islands yes. of, you know, little pods of their, of their home country in the States or wherever they've yeah. gone to yeah. um, and try and maintaining everything else, yes. but taking on the opportunity and the advantages of being in a place like the U S absolutely um, where where social mobility is yes. less rigid. Right. And yeah, economic and social mobility is less rigid than yep. in more Asian cultures yep. um, with long, long traditions of sort of like who's on top and who's uh, not on yep. top. Yep. And so the first generation kids get a lot of like, well, you're going to do this because this is who we are. Right. And then we hear this a lot with the people we talk to. There's this pulling away and then mm-hmm. coming back. Coming back. Right. Um, yep. Pull, yeah, espe- pull. even especially with language yeah. specifically yes. is like yes. Shayla, she talks about, uh, you know, being like a 13 year old with language and now wishing that she, you know, she, we had yep. continued More. and that you're kind of coming I'm, to I'm, that right yeah, now. Totally. I mean, I'm, I'm coming to it in the real pop social sort of current way I like to believe Um, but you know it's all coming too and I kind of love it and I like that is like one part of COVID and one part of me that I really am psyched about at this moment in time and the funny thing was my oldest during COVID was super bored too so he was actually which is very strange for a 15 year old boy um, he was like writing these note cards trying to learn the Korean alphabet, which I found so strange, but I'm on his own, on his own. And I just thought like this whole story, like we're telling, right. You, do you instill in them or, you know, do you force it on them to make sure that it's part of them or do you leave it open and expose them to things? And then they will really find what their true interest is. And that's kind of, you know, what you're talking about, that immigrant story of you're trying to find your pods and feel 
good so you could function, but then you want to make sure that your kids and yourself have all these different opportunities that you wouldn't have. And me thinking, I, I mean, I clearly, that's what my parents did. And I think to some effect, my brother and I have, you know, taken those opportunities. At the same time, I look at my kids and um, I want to make sure that they do also get these opportunities, but I also want them to be really happy and make choices on their own. So it's this real struggle. And I think it's a total parent struggle, but mm-hmm. it's a little bit more on the fact of um, having that history of being having parents and a culture and a childhood that was a little bit different than the way it currently is. And I want to have, make them give them choices and make sure they want to do the right choice and have as many opportunities as possible. Because I felt like when I was growing up, um, I don't know if your parents were like this, but like, you're supposed to be really good at math and you're supposed to be really good in science. And then if you were like kind of social and good in writing or something, that was kind of weird, unless you were like super great and you became a professor. Right. <laughs> but like, I was just talking to my kids and my husband and I were just like, there's so many jobs I wish I had known about that maybe I could have been really great at. And I didn't even know that it existed. So for me, a priority, I'm not sure if I'm even doing it well is I want my kids to know that there's like so many things out there. Not that they try like every single thing, but part of being like, I guess, am I, I'm first generation or just having a lifetime here for me. I know how some things work and I want to instill that in them and make sure that they have these opportunities that are vast and wide of mobility and social, like all of that included, but having those choices versus like the limited choices of like, you're going to have a better life than us, obviously. But these are like the things that are going to guarantee us a good life, you know? So it's like very strange to kind of think of that perspective. And I'm having a hard time of what it is. Like, I hope that like, then I'm kind of curious. I mean, this is like 50 years in the future, but like my kids, what are they going to think with their kids? You know, like, what are they going to, and so they're going to be like, oh my God, my parents totally did not teach us anything about Korean when we were growing up. I'm going to totally make them Korean or maybe they'll marry somebody totally not Korean and not have that, you know? So it's just so many questions out there. I have no idea. Absolutely. But they're good questions to ask. Yeah. Right. Like, I think at the end of the day, the fact that you're asking those questions, you know, your kids are going to talk to their therapist about you in some (laughs) way about something. (laughs) Yeah. Like if it's not about being Korean, it's about being too Korean or it's about what you cook. You know, I always think, you know, my kid's never going to talk to her therapist about not being loved. Like, but she's probably going to be like, God, my mom kept saying she loves me. Like, I know, you know, it's going to be something. I'm you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So I, I wanted to go back a little bit because you had mentioned earlier that your Mm -hmm. brother is nine years younger than you. And I was just curious to know whether there was a huge difference in how your parents raised the two of you. Certainly, you know, like I'd said before, there's a big age gap between me and my, and my youngest sibling. And right. It's almost like by the time the younger two siblings were, you know, sort of in their tween teen years, my parents were like, oh, we're done. I mean, they weren't like completely lax, but a lot of the things that we could never, ever even dream about doing, my parents were like, no, it's fine. Go ahead. 
Right. We right, had like right. a generational, like yeah. it was well, Sheila totally. she and I, and then Sprint yes. Ryu, yeah. very differently parented. And totally. even our parents like openly admit, yeah. right? My dad said something about Spruha. I think uh, one of our siblings was like, well, I just realized that grades aren't as important as I thought they were when you guys were going through this 15 <laughs> right. years ago. Right. And I was like, and you couldn't figure that out then. But I mean, they openly admit that things change. Oh, absolutely. It's, I mean, at least so. I need to talk to my brother about that. It's funny because this is obviously my perspective on things, but sure, yeah. we, I mean, we had a complete generational difference, right? Nine years is a whole lifetime. Like I was not present. Like, it's funny. We talked, we'll go through our yearbooks and we went to the same high school. I like went through his yearbook and I was like, oh, you play tennis? Oh, I didn't know that. Were you on that team? Oh, I didn't know that. It, like that sort of, like I was so unaware because I was so into myself. I was in my twenties and I lived in New York and I was working and he was in high school, you know, that sort of thing. But yes, I think we had a completely different growing up. I also think for our, our family, and it might be typical of somebody else's family, you know, maybe because it's only two of us, I was the girl and he was the boy. So he had... He probably had a lot of uh, expectations that were much um, harder, probably for him than for me, right? But we just, I just took on very different roles because it was chronologically like I was present when we just moved to the States, right? And there, adjusting that 10, you know, that first decade of adjustment, cultural, the whole spiel, I witnessed all of that. He didn't witness any of that. I always feel like he got like sort of the good life when we moved to the suburbs and we everyone rode our bikes and we went to the pool and you yeah, know, we got he, this figured out. Yeah, exactly. You know, like that sort of thing. And so that, so I feel like we had just different uh, expectations and different roles that we played with each, you know, within the family. We had different roles in the family. And so, you know, yes, on certain things, I thought they were totally laxed. And then, you know, I came home and I would be like, you didn't do this and that, you know, I used to do this and this for mom and you just sit around and do nothing. And then on the flip side, I'm sure it was really hard because he was the son you know, and he had to like meet up certain expectations that clearly I didn't have to as much, you know, can it you talk great about, idea. can you give any examples of those expectations? Can yeah. You talk about you know, that a little? Sure. I mean, it's my brother's a doctor and he wants to be a doctor and he's actually a fantastic doctor and he um, does a lot of great work, but I'm wonder if he like, he, it worked out for him, right? It worked out that he liked doing all of that. But I wonder how much of it was pressured by my parents. I don't know. Right. But I mean, it worked out, but if I can't, like, I don't think they, I clearly didn't have those merits to do so, but like, I don't think I would have, they sort of let me do anything I want in that sense. Right. I kind of, because I, I was taking care of them as they were adjusting into a new culture. So at one point, even though I had these burdens of my parents, I was teaching them about what the right things were, you know, like what people do, because they really had no sense of that, right? Mm -hmm. Only within their peers, where um, I think for my brother, even though they probably knew a little bit better, <laughs> but they had expectations of, you know, having a boy and a son and what they wanted to hope and dream for him in that sense, you know? Um, so it's just, it's, it's just different. And I think because of our big age gap of that generation, 
it's a huge difference. Like you guys were just talking about your younger siblings. It's like at that point, they just have different expectations of their children, right? As parents, you have just different expectations. It's a different world that they're living in versus, you know, now. So I think in that sense, I think it's different. We have the whole gender thing and the generation thing going on in our house. Sure. Um, I was wondering what, you know, what your reflections are on sort of, like you'd mentioned, you have mentioned a couple of times mm-hmm. that your brother is the first son of the first son. Yeah. Our brother is also the first son of the first son. <laughs> yeah. He's the first male child yes. on the entire side of the family, totally. which is a huge deal. Yes. Um, <laughs> and how much do you think that sort of like, see if I can formulate this well, how much do you think that your parents' cultural expectations around gender roles also played into that, which is as a, as a girl, you're the, you're a caretaker. And if you did caretaking work, then if you had a career, that's lovely. Yes. As a son, he's going to be taking care of them and he needs to have a good career to be a provider. Totally. I mean, I think very much so. So it's, um, I knew that coming in, not that I knew it, but I sensed it. That's why at one point I knew I could do whatever I wanted to do, you know, my background's in advertising. Right after college, I said to them and I said, I'm moving to New York. And they looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I said, guess what? I, just, I got a job and I'm moving to New York. And I could tell that they didn't want me to, but they just were like, okay, she's going to move to New York and maybe she'll meet somebody and she'll figure it out, whatever. She'll have some sort of bunch of jobs. They had like no idea what my job was right? I worked in advertising, whatever that meant. And I worked for a museum at a certain point, like she works in a museum. What does she do at the museum? Who knows? Right. Um, As long as they have a tagline, right? Like that they have their elevator pitch to tell their friends. Right. Jenny has a job and she lives in New York, (laughs) right? That sounds legit. She works in a museum. Yes. (laughs) Um, Versus absolutely as the son, you know, that whole spiel, I'm sure that was heavy for him. Like he couldn't, I can't imagine him just being, uh, I don't even know, you know, if he came back and he was like, I'm just going to write, or I'm just gonna, you know, be in marketing. You would have to be like, you know, the director or like an M&A or, you know, there's like these high expectations of taking care of the family in that sense. And I definitely see and hear that from my mom and to my brother. And it's interesting because I have had actually some conversations in the past, probably 10 years of just how much pressure that I thought my mom had put on my brother. And she probably didn't, she didn't even know, you know, in that sense, but I think she kind of knows, but you know, the whole struggle of, um, I, I think this is in every culture, but maybe it's super highlighted in the Asian culture where you're constantly comparing your kids and like what you've done, you know, what has Joe done for our family? What did Jenny, you know, what did Jenny buy us this? Did they do this, that, did they get this? Are they the president? You know, like that sort of thing. So that must've been really heavy on my brother at some point because of being the male, you know, provider, the Asian male role kind of thing. You can't just sit around and do nothing where as the caretaker, it's totally cool where, and it's funny that you said that because I kind of forgot about it. I always wanted to work. 
And um, that was kind of a big deal. That was one of the reasons why I left Chicago. I was like, I grew up around here. And I was like, I just need to get out of here. I want to go to New York because I just want to work. I don't want to just hang out here and then move back home and get married and live in the same suburb that everybody else does um, or did or will or whatever. But that was a big deal for me. And I remember after I got married, I kept on working. We had our first kid. I kept on working. I remember my mom pulled me over and said, why are you working? You're so tired. I'm, I don't know why I'm whispering because that's what my mom. She could hear you. She, she might be listening. I, exactly. I don't want her to listen. I always have to go, why did she say that? She was yelling at me, but she was like, why are you working? And I like, no, I was whispering. I wasn't yelling. Yes. Um, but, you know, she said that and it felt, I was so mad at her. I never told her, but I was just like, what are you talking about? Like, I want to work, you know, it's like, I want to work and I want, I want to make my own money and I want to climb the ladder or whatever. But she was just like, why do you have to work? Eventually I did stop working because I wanted to take care of the kids. I had another child and we're, we had the opportunity and I, it was great, but it just was such a, it was such a weird thing to hear from your mom, even though I wasn't surprised, I didn't want to hear it because it made me feel like I had to play some role that that we came here to do some, you take these, all these opportunities to do whatever it is that you're supposed to do. Right. So it's just, yeah, that gender thing is a big thing. Um, big point of uh, contention. I don't, you know, and I wonder because I have two boys, if I have certain expectations of them that I don't even know, you know, because you don't have that. the girl to exactly to compare, like, right. Exactly. Like, you know, of, do you want, if you have a daughter, do you want them to be taken care of? Yeah. I get just like different aspects of that, like emotional relationship, bro. I'm not quite sure how that would be, but I just remember feeling like, I guess I am just the girl here, <laughs> even though that wasn't the truth. And it's not like, you know, they made me feel that way, but I think that's very true in a lot of um, cultures that there's definitely the male role and the woman, you know, yeah. the female role. And I think that's true, you know, in a Western culture too. It's not as overt, but I think it's still there. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I certainly, I know that in India, even now, yeah, even now as if it's like so different than it used to be. <laughs> yes. But, um, it's only been 40 something years, right? It, but yeah. Yeah. It, now it's women have careers, they go to college, yes. they have doctors yeah. and that. And still when they get married and especially when they have their first kid, it's right. The expectation is that you would leave your job yes. and stay home and take care of your child, your husband. Yes. And certainly in India, there's a bit of in-law stuff that goes with yes. it too. Yes. That's um, you know, and I had actually, I talked to my dad about that once yeah. around, you know, wait, so you're telling me that the expectation, like all of this matchmaking that they do in India about, is this a good match? And what does this person do? And where is their family from? And, but this emphasis on like, oh, well, if you're a doctor, you want to marry someone else who's a doctor or a dentist or, you know, someone who's done as much training, who's as yes. ambitious as you, all of that only to have one partner drop out of the workforce, right? which is completely demoralizing to the person, let's face totally. it, the woman who has to drop out yes. of the workforce. Yep. And the other thing I was like, so 
the whole goal of, of women going to college and getting careers is so that they're good partners for their husbands. Right. right. I know that my dad didn't think about it that right. way. Totally. But there was, you could tell that there was a little bit of discomfort. Right. Knowing that I had sort of hit so close to the truth there. Right. Right. Like you found out. <laughs> right. You found out. <laughs> we like all, you weren't like supposed we, to know. Yeah. Right. You just play that role. And I, yeah, I do think it's really I, it, that gender role of, um, you know, I don't know if it just exists for every generation, if we had been living here forever, right? Like if we were, if we were a Mayflower family and we have been here for, you know, seven generations, as you, you know, if you have girls in your family and boys in your family, like who do you support more to do what, in what role as a caretaker within your family, you know, roles, that sort of thing. I'm kind of curious to see like how that falls apart um, too, because I don't know what that means. Yeah. It is. I mean, it is pretty interesting. I have one daughter. I have one child who is biologically female, um, <laughs> identifies as non-binary. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the younger one is my son. They're about three and three and three quarters years apart. So almost four mm-hmm. years apart. Yep. And my challenges, at least around culture, are much the same. I think the gender challenges will be more pronounced and more interesting as they get older so far, you know, my older kid is just now getting to the place where I would expect anything different. Mm -hmm. Um, But generally, you know, just like you, we've tried really hard to, or I've tried really hard. My husband is not an immigrant child or not an Mm -hmm. immigrant. He was multiple generations back in Northern Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, But from my perspective, I tried really hard, like you were saying earlier, not to force aspects of culture on them, yeah. but to include them and expose yeah. them and try and make it meaningful for them yeah. without necessarily being like, and now we're going to do this. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and at the same time, I'm, I am curious over the next five to seven years, yeah. what the gender expectations will look like. Although one of the things as my older child was you know, going through this process of yes. identifying themselves yep. um, in the way that they felt comfortable, talked a lot about how gender gender expectations are very much from the outside. Yeah. And that internally, most people are some mix of everything. Right. And there are just as many ways to be a girl as there are women in the world and just as many ways to be a man as there are men in the world. Um, and, you know, that includes people who are trans men and trans women. Right. So um, I think that'll be interesting as, as time progresses. I agree. Um, to see how that dynamic plays out. No, I agree. Absolutely. I mean, so I, I just also, oh, go ahead. Which I was going to say, I want to switch a little bit here on different yeah. tracks. Because now we started talking about families and marriage yes. and expectations. Yeah. And you're, and you have two sons. You have two sons, but you <laughs> are one of the few people that we've spoken with who are, who is married to another, another. First generation. Yeah. Um, Korean. And we're both person Korean. of the same culture and the same yes. background. Yeah. So I would love to hear how you met first of all. Sure. Um, but then also over the course of your relationship, have there been moments of like, we're from the same place. Why is there tension around this? Absolutely. Um, it's um, so Walter and I met in New York. We, he's from the East Coast. He grew up in Buffalo. He went to college out what East, so he's got a whole East Coast life. 
Um, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Morton Grove. I went to U of I and then, but right after college, I left and I moved to New York City. Um, so I've been living there for many years and kind of running around doing things. We actually met on a blind date. And, um, it, you know, it's just really hard to meet people in general. And especially in New York, everyone has an agenda. And most of our crew that we sort of hung out with, you know, I had I had a lot of Korean friends growing up, but I had a lot of non-Korean friends growing up. So I had a little bit of mix of both because maybe in your your experience too, my parents had a very tight um, Korean group, you know, social group and with church and whatnot. So I just knew a lot of people in, in the North. So their kids. Yeah. Their kids, kids you were friends, friends with. Yes. Exactly. And in high school, and there was a big community. So it wasn't like I was never going to see an Asian person. So that was like never an issue, you know, or if you were shocked to see another Asian person. Yes. You know, in that sort of sense. But um, he grew up sort of like that, too. But his uh, his upbringing is a lot of more of the Caucasian cultures. He went to a small school in the Northeast. And he went to a small private school. So just he, his experience was just totally different than mine. So talking about culture, he, you know, I told you that I grew up having, we had every Sunday dinner with my large family. We had a church, you know, we did lots of traditional Korean things. We ate a Korean meal every single day and he did something similar, but his parents were, wanted to be much more assimilated into the culture. So he doesn't have as much of a strong, it's not that he doesn't, he does have a strong sense of being Korean, but not as many experience, overt experiences. Right. It wasn't as close to the surface for him. Yes. There's no exactly. going to Korean school Saturday and Sunday every weekend all the time. And playing yes. cello for eight yeah. years. Yes. He had to play other instruments because clearly, <laughs> you know. Asian. Always something. So, yeah, he's, what he is had, it about stringed instruments in Asian? Like you couldn't no, play the no, trumpet. I guess piano. He, I guess he did or the stringed instrument. Yeah, actually, you couldn't Walter play did, like the trumpet if yeah, you're Korean or Indian, huh? He played the trumpet. Walter. See, but he trumpet. was not as quote unquote you're Korean. Right, you're right. Right. You're right. Um. So yeah, I could take I that out if you. I could take that out about telling him saying that he's Korean. You did say quote unquote. Oh yeah. Okay. Good. So yeah, it's Walter. But, if so you're listening, is. you are very Korean. <laughs> he he will probably say he's not as Korean as I am. It's clear. <laughs> There's no like you know mistake about it exactly. But it is interesting because what I was going to point out is every I think every first generation story, even of the same culture or mixed culture, whatever you are, you have a really different experience because I think it's. It's kind of like the COVID story. Like everyone gets it, has a totally different version of it, right? Some people That's are super yeah. sick, super immersed into their culture. They have this heavy burden from their family or they have all those components, but it's, it comes in different moments and in different ways. So we have shared a lot of similar things, but also we're, we're two totally different families, you know, different situations and different things that we've gone through. So it's, I have been thinking about it a little bit more just in terms of the Koreanness of it, just because our kids are into it. And I just think the time that we're currently living in allows culture to be so special and awesome. Like if you don't have it, you feel out of it, right? Why aren't <laughs> like you Korean you, enough? Yes. Right. Like, well, and also, you I not- mean, not even that, but I think some of this 
pushback almost against immigrant culture yes. by you know the the sort of mainstream white culture is because people who used to be Italian, you know, Irish, English, Scottish, mm-hmm. you name it, Czechoslovakian. Yeah. Sorry, that's not yeah. a country anymore, but <laughs> yes. You know, all of those people who came Serbian, here, Serbian, right. yeah. Russian over generations, it all got wiped out and there's yes. nothing. It's all just sort of this homogenous. Exactly. It's like and taking so, pizza and putting it into a blender and then you have pizza sauce. Yeah. Right. You have not, a smoothie that tastes like pizza. Well, that's but there's nothing distinct about that's a horrible things. metaphor because that sounds disgusting have you ever had it no but it really? sounds disgusting it, it could be delicious we have no <laughs> idea well it is pizza so yeah anyway Duh. yeah yeah but continue yeah no I, so i just think the the whole your question in terms of have we had moments like you're gonna do that it, it, i think it's more about your family background and you know how you were raised and what your study with values but just like your experiences of how you interpret that to that next place right and but we have a layer of you, you would think well both of them are korean both of them are first generation they have some they might not have this some exact same experience but similar that it would be totally easy breezy but it's just not because we're totally two different people we've had completely different experiences with the culture and and how we've been raised and what we've been exposed to so having to now instill something cultural or some you know something like that to your own kids when we've been so we haven't been whitewashed but like you know there are moments that I really hated being Korean there are moments that I love being Korean. So I go back and forth. And so how do you instill your love and hate on your people when they're also going through all sorts of different weird things too? So um, we've definitely had some moments, but it's, it's, I, I kind of chalk it up to being different people, but I do think there's some un- better understanding because I could explain some of the, like my parents' in-law things to Walter, right? And I could see that in his, you know, like that sort of thing, or just, you know, our lives were, we've had very different childhoods and different lives, but like we could relate to certain experiences. We're like, remember that? Remember eating this? Or remember going to do that? Remember visiting this? And that's really nice because that, when we share with our kids, it's really, that feels like a good nugget of memory, you know? Yes. Um, but a lot of other times, it's more of, a, you know, raising your kids with two different people that have two different complete experiences. I mean, we could be completely different cultures, right? But we have moments that are like, okay, this is, we mesh. That it comes together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and so often, you know, the the culture, it's sort of the big culture with the C where you come yes. from, your background, all that stuff. Yes. Does not make as big of a difference in you know, your marriage as the small culture, the sea stuff, which is like, how often are towels supposed to be washed? Where do (laughs) socks go? How do you put away dishes, you know, from the dishwasher? Every day. Right. Why do you make decisions about where we go on vacation? Like all, why do you chew so loud? Yes. (laughs) That kind of thing. No, totally. So it's, it's, it's interesting in that way. I, I wonder, uh, 
like when you when um kosha when you approached me about this project that you were doing i was so interested because i think i mentioned to you just like after we've been here for multiple generations i wonder like the impact that will have on our next generations of you know social mobility are we going to be able to set it up set them up for more opportunities more cultural things super owning their cultures or super owning their heritage or Maybe by then it'll be super mixed up, you know, maybe we'll only be, I don't know, a 10th Korean or some, you know, like that sort of thing. But like, what, what landscape are we leaving for those generations in this country, you know, because we all moved here to be in this country to have these opportunities, but some people have been here longer (laughs) than others and have built different experiences. And that was what was so interesting to me because I been sort of thinking about it, obviously because of the kids, but I'm not sure what, you know, is it just like we keep on recycling the same storyline, like, you know, of the gender imbalances, you know, cultural and social like growth and things of that sort, or does this impact of coming from a, different country to a country of a melting pot and what does that mean like in that sense and then also for me like when I think about my parents I mean I I should really talk to them too this is making me think that I should talk to them more but in terms of that's that guilt that's that (laughs) Korean guilt you were talking about it's like oh I should have called them more (laughs) (laughs) you know but um like I wonder if they look at us and go it's so great. We moved here because, or we made that big move because they have this sort of life. I'm not sure what that means, right? Maybe in terms of like education and jobs and the lifestyle that we get to live. I don't know, you know, that sort of thing. But I, you know, I would hope that that makes them happy to have moved here. But do we continue that on? I don't know. I mean, I hope so. I would like to. I'm not sure what that going on means you know in terms of like generations of like opportunities and growth and all of that stuff and then I sit here and say crazy things to my kids all the time going you just have to love what you do and then you'll be a success and then I'm like what what am I saying here even though I is that really true like that's I'm like well that's it yeah I think my daughter is fancy six and I'm like you can be like, she's really into like fashion design right now. Yes. And she's like, I want to be a fashion designer. I was like, or you could be a fashion mogul because yes. then you're or like, own things. you could be a venture capitalist. They make a lot of money. Like it, it is something that I struggle with. Yeah, definitely is, you know, like balancing, definitely wanting to be that, you know, you can do whatever you want and yes. you know, focus on what you love and what you're good yeah. at but also wanting her to, yes, be to able to take well. care of herself yes. and, you know, not need a husband or a partner yes, and just be able to, you know, live yes. and enjoy her life, like work yeah. to live. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, I definitely struggle with that too. Yeah. Do you, Shulshi, is that something? Yeah. Well, you've heard, I don't, I'm sure you've heard me, you, Kosha, have heard me say <laughs> to my both children, that um, we don't have any expectations for what they do in their lives, mm-hmm. but there are a couple rules. Mm-hmm. They need to do something with their talents and skills to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. I love that. Secondly, they have to be able to be. Re- they have to be able to 
take care of whatever responsibilities they take on. Right. So if you want to move to the country and start a rescue cat farm and you have 50 million cats, you better be able to pay for everything that it requires. Right. You got to do your part. Because we will, you know, we will do our best to help you get launched, but that's it. It's very different from, I think, how my parents conceptualized their post-child raising. Yes. For us, for my husband and I, we're like, we're going we're gonna to do things, right? Yeah. We don't expect to be living in our house. It, right. Wanna, you know, we'll yes. support you the best we can to get you launched, but like, right. we're, we're not going to be in this house forever, right? Like, we're going right. to go, we might not even be in the, in the States for a Stay. while. Well, exactly. Um, right. And then the third thing that we've said to them is, and you need to be a good person. Yes, that is key. Be kind, be loving. Yes. Be a good citizen. Yeah. Like, vote. I all love that. Things. Like, yeah. You're a public citizen. You need to be making the world a better place. Yeah. Both by what you do, but also yeah. by who you are. Absolutely. And then, like, whatever you choose to do with your life, you just got to be able to pay for all the responsibilities <laughs> it requires. I love so that. If you want to be, you know, get a van and do van yeah. life. Yeah. And be a Go. roving writer or a roving mural artist and you can get by in $22,000 a year. Yep. Fantastic. Yep. I love that. The whole part about being a kind person yeah. is I think that the fact that we say it out loud is yeah. like a first to second generation conversation because not like mom and dad, our parents were like, we don't care if you're, you don't have to be nice to people. I agree. Right. But I it agree. was not. Well, it, wasn't it was more goal-oriented. Right? Yeah. There and was if, like a if goal. They went, if they went to our parent-teacher conferences yes. and, were, and the teacher said, well, she's a kind person. Yeah. They'd be like, okay, that's great. How that's, is she in math? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And that's so interesting because I love that you said that because I think that's so true because I say the same thing to my kids. I just want you to be happy, like with yourself, like feel confident and happy with yourself be kind to others and be a good citizen, whatever that means, like be a successful citizen, but like you have to give to be successful or, you know, however you want to interpret that. But I do too. Every time I would always go into a parent teacher conference, you know, they talk about whatever, but I would always say, so is he nice to everybody in class? Does he get along with people? And I, that for me was so much more important because I think that's actually a success characteristic. Do you know what I mean? Versus the goals, like you will achieve straight A's to do X, you know, like that sort of thing. Like what I think as our generation, because I mean, not that we're much more aware, just the the world that we're currently living in. And just because of the experiences that we've had to just kind of emotionally figure all that sort of stuff out. I rather teach my kids about having key characteristics that make them successful people and good people. So, I mean, not that I'm so awesome or I'm so smart in knowing that, but those are skill sets that I've also learned as I'm living through the, um, I'm living through my career, you know, storyline that I, as an immigrant's child, you know, the, the more opportunities that I got, the more things that I got, like the one thing that I wish my parents would have given me, but I knew they couldn't was they weren't the ones that were giving me like career advice. And, you know, you should be super confident when you get in there. You should talk about this, you know, like what do your parents do, of, Jenny, my parents. So my parent, my mom is a social worker. 
My dad is an electrical engineer. They did a little bit of that when they came here, and then they actually owned a small business. They owned the dry cleaners for a while, and then um, they are retired now. But they're super involved in the um, Korean community. But I wish they would have told me more of those and the connecting and the networking things. And maybe it's just because I'm in the business world. And those are things that I had to learn from great mentors and from other people's parents, you know? And so for Walter and I, that those are like things that we try to instill in our kids. And I think that's definitely, you know, I don't think it's that like our parents didn't tell us to do that, but not as overtly. And then just not as overtly, just in the connections, just like key elements of being a, a success. I'm not even sure what that means. I know we just talked about being good hearted and all of that stuff, but like navigating through life, being a good person. But if you want to be, if you want to buy a farm, there are some steps you have to take to get a farm. You don't just show up and be like, Hey, here I am. Do you have this and that? Like they didn't know as much about how to navigate through this country And I wish I had known more of that because I felt like I had to do all of that myself. Mm -hmm. And I want to instill more of that on my kids so that they could just have that so they could be, you know, expand bigger, whatever it is. If, you know, if they have a greenhouse in their backyard, but have that dream of expanding that, that's their opportunity versus me going to be like, okay, I think I want to work in business. Oh, I think I want to do marketing. Oh, I think I want to do advertising. How do I do that? Like I had to like search and like literally like beg people and figure that all out myself where I felt like once I got into those worlds and you talk to a bunch of people, they knew everything so much more earlier than I did mm-hmm. because they were set up a little bit more. And so, you know, generations on, I would hope that, you know, second generation, third generation, whatnot, their foundation is much stronger in certain aspects that they're, they're not constantly searching in reinventing the, the wheel, that, right? Exactly, you, you don't want them exactly. to reinvent the wheel. Exactly. But, and I rather have them like search out their, their true characters and what they're dreaming of versus the basics, you know, right. and this other stuff. And that's a lot to, that's like the burden, I think, going back to the beginning of this, you know, conversation, that was sort of the burden that I felt like I was like, okay, I have to kind of take care of things and make sure everyone's good. And then make sure that I'm culturally fitting in and, you know, make sure I'm getting my grades and then make sure I have like the right characteristics to get X, Y, Z, make sure I get the connection, this thing. And then once you got there, it was like a whole nother game that I had to learn, you know, where I love to set them up in that way. And I think that's what generations do when they, Well, there's also really something very interesting about the generation of parents that came over in the 60s and 70s, the generation of people, Mm -hmm. if they weren't all parents at the time, the generation of immigrants that came over from South Asia and East Asia um, and, you know, sort of other other places where immigration had been largely restricted in Mm -hmm. that time period. Right. Which is almost all of those people were professionals. Right. Right. You know, there's there's a reason why there's all the stereotypes about Asians being good in math and science and, you know, Indians being doctors or engineers and, you know, just all this stuff. You're which absolutely is, right. you know, certainly U.S. immigration policy affected who is allowed to be here. Right. And the people who came here. Right. Basically had like 
those are the people who are told this is how you achieve success. So there, well, there's no, you know, I, and certainly I don't know what the school system is like in yeah. Korea, but yeah. India was based, India's school system was a British school system. Yeah. And so basically that's why you had to study hard because the test scores were really important. Well, that's if you didn't exactly. test high yeah. enough, then but you didn't you go to a good secondary school. Oh, and if yeah. you didn't test well in this thing, totally to the, even to the point where your test scores in medical, like for pre-men yeah. determined whether you could be a surgeon yeah. or an in, what level? You know, internal medicine, mm-hmm. or, you know, this is the, this is surreal, right? If you don't score high enough, you have to be a dentist. Right. right. So she put that in quotes, right? Like, yeah. you, you, exactly. You didn't score high enough to be a doctor, right. but right. you can be a dentist. dentist right. And then like, but then, then you can be a pharmacist here. underneath yes. that. And, you know, but, but that's like, if you went on the medical track, right. You went on the sort of like engineering track, then track, it's, yeah. Who's the smartest up here, like a computer science engineer. And then like just goes down and down after that. Yeah. Um, true. I tell the story a lot. I'm sure Kosha has heard it many times that from the time I was about eight until the time I was 20 years old, I wanted Mm -hmm. to be a doctor. I wanted to be an OBG hundred percent. That's all. Um, And then, then it came time to apply to med school. And I was like, I don't really want to apply to med school. Right. And then it became clear to me what I had to do to finish med school. And I was like, I don't want to go to med school. I just want to be a doctor. Yeah. And one night I was sort of just doing some very slow internet research back when internet was very (laughs) slow. When it was doing the AOL, like down, down, down. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Where you're like, all right, well, I need, I need to go to the bathroom. The page will be up when I'm done. Um, (laughs) And, uh, turns out I stumbled on public health, which is really just a perfect fit for yeah, me. Yeah, that's I'm, fantastic. You know, I'd done um, social and political ethics, oh, uh, social like political philosophy and ethics in yeah. college as my second major. I was a bio ah, and philosophy yep. major and worked at Planned Parenthood for four years. Oh, nice. And really had, you know, really focused on like, how do we take care of people? How do we make everyone better? Well, yeah. that's why you wanted to be an OB or yeah, OB, right. OBGYN because you yeah. wanted to help but, women. But, yeah. but it was like, that was to your point from earlier, like that was the only way you Gold. could help yes. women right. yeah. in our trajectory sure. was yes. to be a doctor be a who doctor. helps yes. women in, right. or be and a lawyer. You, or, yeah. That's yeah. And that's yeah. like the only, like, that's what you know up front, and you that's what you've been told or that's what you've learned and then all of a sudden to switch tracks like when you're 20 or 25 you're like why did I you know why didn't somebody tell me this when I was 15 or 16 or 17 where you you see different generations of different cultures or different people who have been here for so long they just it's just it's kind of like what we're talking about you know yeah they've had this conversation multiple times in the years past (laughs) Right. right. Absolutely. Where, when they first came over, it was like, you need to be a block. Yes. But that, you know, they maybe their ancestors came over in the 1800s. Yeah. And so by the time 2020 comes around, totally. you know, so much has happened that X person's parents are like, whatever, we have all kinds of things going on. And we know yeah. that the path to being successful isn't there aren't like five distinct paths. That yes. Step off that path. You're, it's you're, gonna be yeah, a it's done. <laughs> people can step off, step back yes. on, you know, switch careers, and yep. people can still be have successful. That's, that's a yeah. very interesting point that you both are saying. Is like yeah. maybe perhaps we're having the conversations now that the Mayflower families had back then. 
Yeah, I agree. Right. And that yeah. if if you kind of take a timestamp from this and then in 200 years have conversations with our ancestors or, or right. not our ancestors, our mm-hmm. progeny, right. yes. that, yeah, that they're going to be like, oh, th- that this is not even part of the conversation. Right. They're, they're talking about something totally different. Right. But it's, uh, the other part that's kind of awesome and scary and strange like this moment in time, it's so incredible that we're living in it, which makes me excited and sad. And I don't even know all of the above clearly (laughs) is there's so many things going, you know, obviously just really understanding your culture is a big thing. Being an individualist is big. Having your own like say and having, you know, figuring out who you are is really important. And so we were just having this conversation with uh you know like a school mom friend and their kids just went to college and we're just talking about how them as parents you know like you and I or whatever they were telling their kid like this is what you should do this is the kind of jobs you should do you know whatever and you're telling them all these things from your 1995 2000 college years and they're looking at you like I don't know what you're talking about because I'm not going to go work at a place for 10 years or 20 I'm going to have like 15 jobs and I'm going to be like a consultant and I'm going to go out I'm going to be a YouTube blogger and I'm going to have this job and I'm going to be a journalist and I'm going to do this and so it's so out like so much has happened and we're at this really awesome pivotal point where it's switching right things are changing and I'm trying to assess myself and be like, hey, this is, um, you know, I'm trying to teach my kids about all the things that I don't want them to go through because I've done it for you kind of thing. And yet it's changing again. Right. right? And so it's just uh, it's incredible that that immigrant story of, you know, how, you know, what we we've lived through and then, you know, we're. It's going to be, I don't know, in the next couple of years. And then, you know, maybe like 10 years from now, we'll be like, what were we talking about back then? Right. Well, this is amazing how as parents, this is just a parent thing, I think. Um, And then you layer the immigrant stuff on top of that. But the Mm -hmm. parent thing is like, it's amazing how we think that our experience from when we were 17 (laughs) is going to be relevant to our children when they are 17. Because it's, you know, anywhere between... Say if you had a kid when you were 18 years old. Yeah. You know, 18 years. Yes. Between the time you were 17 and the time <laughs> exactly. you were your kid is 17. It's like eons, But then also yeah. like I didn't have my first kid till I was 30. So yeah. 47 too. years or not 47, yeah. but like 30 yes. years. Yeah. It's gonna be quite a long time. The you it know, the, the markers are pretty far apart. The world, you're right, the world is gonna be it's really, like, really different by the time my kid will need to be making the decisions that I made about my career. Well, exactly it's and it's incredible. Yeah, just understanding that because that's kind of where we are. Like my oldest is gonna be 16 in a month, and I am like laughing, going. Who, who, what, what's happening? Like, I'm like, well, you know, what is this? And then, you know, I'm always like, dude, don't try to pull anything on me. I got all the tricks, you know, I got all the tricks down. But then I'm like, they're, but they're living in such a world. I've talked to Kosha offline about a lot of this stuff too, but it's like their world is so different than my world. Yes. Things that I tell them, you know, I always tell them the stupid story. Obviously they're glued to their phones. And I'm like, I remember like my parents, 
I was not allowed to have a phone in my room. We barely got that second line, you know, that party line until like I was like a senior in high school mm-hmm. and I would pull that phone, you know, and it was like, we, I would, I bought like the extra long one <laughs> so that I would steal it from like their bedroom at night when they went to bed. And then I would go into my closet to talk to, who, you know, whatever Johnny for like five hours. Oh, Walter, the, there's a Johnny. Yeah. And then they would pick up the phone sometimes and be like, start talking on it. You know, when you're like, Whoa! oh yeah, I for was sure. like, when I tell that story, they're looking at me like, I don't even know what you're like. I don't yeah. even know what you're talking about. Like you did what? And you had a stupid line you hid in the closet. Like what? Yeah. Like it's right. like literally foreign to them. Like I'm explaining it. I'm like, it was so funny. It was so great. I can't believe I did that. They're like, I don't care. I'm just going up to my room and be like glued to my phone, which yeah. I'm always glued to. And you're like, yeah, what, hey, it's weird. Uh, Kosha and and her family were on vacation recently and they had satellite. Yes. So, Direct you know, TV. Yeah. Not, the, yes. not like straight up, like yes. plug into the wall cable, but yeah. upgraded cable. Right. Upgraded yeah. Direct TV. And they were watching something and Batsy was like, God, there are so many ads, not commercials. <laughs> Ads. Yes, ads. And totally. the second they thing know. is like, oh, well, I like this show. Can we go back and watch it again? And yes, Kosha. And can you husband, start from the beginning? She's like, can you start this episode from the beginning? It's like, yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. And oh then the God. third thing was we watched like a movie that was a sequel. And yeah. she goes, uh, let's watch the first one. And I was like, babe, no, no, it bad. doesn't work that way. And then Brian, my husband was like, you know, well, this is how it was. And you just turned it on and hoped yes. that there was something that the you TV liked. On. Yes. And she looked at her dad and was like dad, dad is this like your history and we're like yes <laughs> yes yes <laughs> exactly so i know we have we are uh headed toward the end of our conversation here i want to be respectful of your time no we worries i love be, it this is we could just keep talking i know this, yeah. this is all of our guests like each other I and bet. then our guests if we had yeah. booked like five hours we'd still be like we need to talk more um yeah. so as we're talking about kids and parenting and family culture yeah. Um, culture with a small C. Yes. Um, one thing I wanted to ask is, you know what? And we, you've talked a little bit about it, but mm-hmm. what are you hoping that your kids will absorb from the culture that your parents passed down to you? Not, not even language, but like yes. the, the values or, or the feeling or yeah. what would you hope that they would um, absorb from connections to you yeah. and then to your parents? Yes. I mean, I am respecting more and more of um, just the whole family aspect and the connection and the responsibility and just having that elder, young connection, right? And Asian families, and I think typical, but also very strong in Korean families, is having that um, connection in that way, respecting your elders, respecting their story, having an understanding of that, and understanding that bond, even if you don't get to see them often in that sort of way, and having that culture. And okay, there's generations and generations of your family line that have lived there and having that sort of traditional connection. That is one part I really love. And I feel really privileged and lucky by chance that I also married somebody that is of the same culture that has sort of a similar 
um, I've similar but different experience, but can understand that. And I think for me, just as a personal, this may not be true for most people, but or most Korean second, first, second generations. But for me, that has been a real strong point that I want to make sure that they understand that there's a connection that, you know, you have a long line of people that you have been connected to, even though we live in this country and we live possibly a completely different world than people from our past. And I want to make sure that they, you know, carry that through even if it's just a small part of it. That's awesome. So the last thing we're going to ask you is, yeah. you know, if you listen to this podcast at all, we talk about familect, which is, you know, the family linguistics, essentially. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about any familect that you have that either you have with your parents or that you've brought into your own home with your kids? Okay. So I don't really have a specific one, but I will have to say, I think I mentioned a little bit of like my resurgence of the Korean language. So it is, I don't have a specific work, but I do because my language skills in Korea, Korean are so limited. I use like one word things like, which means it's funny. (laughs) So I, I put like these little words that I barely know. (laughs) And I try to instill that into our conversation. I just kind of do it naturally. And then the kids are like, what does that mean? (laughs) You know, in that sort of way. So it's not a word, but it's sort of, I guess, my limited vocabulary of the Korean language that I want to make sure that they know some words that are funny. Do they say that back to you when they think totally? Funny thing is, um, not, it's not funny, but it's a coincidence. My maiden name is Shin, S-H-I-N. And Shin is obviously a body part in the American language, but it's also shoes <laughs> in Korean. So we'll say like funny things like that, because that's something that we all know. And it's like, haha, isn't that funny? It's Shin and Shin and Shin. <laughs> You wear your shin just below yeah, your shin. Right. Exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Jenny. This has been, I mean, the time has flown by. It feels like we've been talking for 10 minutes, <laughs> totally. which is when Shulshu was like, well, we want to be respectful for your, of your time. I'm like, we have plenty of it, but we don't. <laughs> thank you so much. This has yeah, been thank awesome. You. This is great. Like you said, I could talk about this forever and it's great for me because it's making me reflect a lot. I need that. We have a lot of time during quarantine to reflect. So exactly. Exactly. We just gave you an an additional thing. Thank you for being vulnerable and, and sharing, you know, patient. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. We had lots of technical difficulties and you did not throw the phone at the wall. At least I didn't see it. No, you got back on. No worries. Son's phone at the wall. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I know. Now you have to, now you have to use this cord that goes into the (laughs) closet. Totally. That, let me go find that phone that you dial. (laughs) Um, Also, I just want to say that I know one thing about Korean dramas and there is a video that's yeah. called the kimchi slap. Do you know what I'm talking Ooh, about? No. Okay, I'm going to post it. I'm going to yes. send it to you, Jenny. And I'm going to post it in the it. show notes. Because literally, I guess the guy says something. He's cheating on the woman or something. Yeah, and yeah. he takes out a big thing of kimchi and slaps him with it. <laughs> no. Where is this show? How I'm going to send it to you. Every year it comes up in like my memories on Facebook. Single... I, I'm going to send it to you. And it's going to be. That's awesome. I love Thank it. Thank you so much. I love it. Thank you. I love hope it you, was girl. Um, interesting enough. Thank you. you.